Welcome to the Brand Aid Podcast, where we talk branding with the biggest names in the business. And we're lucky to have Tyler Winklevoss here. And Tyler, I'm going to give your bio for a sec in case people don't know you. You're a cryptocurrency and Bitcoin investor, an Olympic athlete, a Harvard and Oxford grad, an entrepreneur and founder of Winklevoss Capital and the Gemini Crypto Exchange. And you were on Family Guy. That's right. I'm also... Uh... <laughs> I also had a cameo on Silicon Valley and was on um, The Simpsons. So, dang! All right, hey. All right. And I, I love. Uh, I think I, I love that. On property, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone knows you from Social Network, right? So we don't need to get into that. But if somebody's listening and they don't know, basically, you started a student exchange kind of site up at Harvard. Eventually, Zuckerberg got involved. He fucked you. You sued him. You won $65 million. You went out and did your own thing. Does that pretty much sum it up? That's a decent summary, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He just said, he just laid it out on the line real quick. All right. Well, we want to make sure people know. I mean, Griffin, a lot of your fans probably never even saw the movie because they're so young. I mean, it's an older movie now. Yeah, you were saying that, yeah, when you said everyone's seen the social number (laughs) Like of our generation, but uh, I'm not sure if Griffin, Griffin, have you seen it? Nope. <laughs> That's wild. You think Josh or Bryce has seen it? Uh, I would. I don't think so. I feel like I feel like Josh definitely hasn't. I'm sure Gruen's seen it though. Oh, oh, I'm sure. It, it's it's Gruen, man. He's 22, going on 50. You know, right? <laughs> He's sort of uh, ahead of his years, so. Um, yeah, it's interesting because like the feature film, right. That I grew up with, like going to the movie theater, you know, for two, two hour film or three hour film, like what's that going to look like? It was sort of getting eaten away with, with, um, you know, streaming, um, and sort of the golden age of, of TV, um, with Netflix and everything. Um, so people were going to the, the, the theater less and less, but with COVID and the lockdown, like what does a feature film look like these days? People are trying to get them to go direct to like Roma was an attempt to build a feature film that went direct to streaming, um, went pretty well. Um, but the question is, yeah, what does that look like, you know, in the future? I don't know if people in the attention spans, right? Do people have the attention span to invest or commit to two or three hour movie? I love movies i'm kind of old school that way but even i find it's it's challenging you know in our busy lives it's funny hbo max just i think some of the movie companies said we're going right to hbo max with our next movies and the theaters are up in arms obviously they're pissed off because that's lost revenue for them if no one's going to the movies yeah no definitely i mean they've they've enjoyed the distribution pipeline monopoly for for uh, I guess since for the last hundred years, right? Movies kind of, I think movie theaters peaked in all ticket sales in like the forties, but um, people have been going to movies since maybe the twenties um, or at least the thirties. And now it's so cheap, relatively speaking to build your own home theater, um, you know, um, flat screen TVs, uh, the price tags when they first came out, um, I'm dating myself again, um, but, it was this crazy new technology, right? That was like thirty or forty thousand dollars a flat screen TV. I remember, yep. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I remember that. Now you go into Best Buy and you can get something great for a few hundred dollars at least. Um, so you can do that. You can, uh, you know, put some surround sound around. Um, and so the home theater, everyone's got kind of a home theater. They're like, why do I need to leave? I love the exercise of getting out of the house, going to the theater. I kind of feel like it's, it's a change of pace. It's, it's like an event, you know, like a date night or something. And um, the, the theater is sort of like a temple for me. You know, it's like going to church in a way. Um, neurologically, it uses something different in your brain than when you're working all day. I just think that like, you know, all of a sudden your brain changes. In, in, in Mad Men, um, Don Draper, he would like go to the movies and get his best ideas, I guess, because it's, it's sort of like meditating, right? You're just kind of uh, shut off and all of a sudden the, the creative process or the ideas percolate up. But I really always come out of movies, even not great movies, and they kind of have like a positive energy. I feel optimistic. It just something happens to me in there that I love. I love the storytelling. And um, even if it's, I mean, hopefully it's a great movie, but even if it's not, just the, the exercise of shutting off, not looking at your phone, you know, unplugging um, for a couple hours, I, I find to be really, really nice. I, uh, dude, it's been so long. I growing up, I didn't ever really get to go to the movies, but uh, now that you're sitting here thinking about it, I, I've never dissected it, but it, it would be so nice to get out of the house, go to the movie theaters and just turn my phone off and be like, sorry, I couldn't answer. I was at the movies, man. And like have an excuse to put my phone away for two hours. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love it. You know, even growing up, like, you know, that's what we do as kids on a Friday night or Saturday yeah. night or a fan with your family. That was like a big, that was like a big moment. You know, that was like the high, you know, the high moment of a week, um, you know, go with your buddies to the movie or whatever. So I have, <laughs> Griffin, yeah, why yeah. You to movies as a kid, was that like a rule in your household or? No, no, no rule. No rule there. Tom, you like R rated movies and stuff. Yeah, I, I could. Yeah, when I was a kid, you couldn't watch like R-rated movies, and it was even awkward. I remember as a kid, even if you're sitting there watching with your parents and they're having sex on screen, is there more awkward a moment when you're a kid to sit and watch that with your parents next to you? It's so awkward, and you have nothing to do with it, but you think like it's you do, and like you have to like wait. Should I look like I'm not? you know, having fun here or like, I don't know, <laughs> look away, like I run out of the room screaming, <laughs> you know, and it's, it, it is. And, and I, yeah. Why is it awkward? Because your parents could look at you and there's like a tell that you know what's going on, but you shouldn't. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so I stayed away from those movies, Griff, to answer your question for that reason. That's okay. pretty forward thinking Tom for, for a teenager. Most teenagers wouldn't think that far ahead. Oh, buddy. The brain's never stopping. But listen, we talk movies. Tyler, Tyler, you have enough money to buy theaters. You don't have to buy a movie ticket anymore. We're going to get into how you made all that money through cryptocurrency. But I want to kind of go back to the beginning. When I was doing homework, it was really interesting to me how you get your um, Facebook money, you and your brother start a VC company, right? And you had a problem getting people to work with you because everyone wanted at the time wanted to sell to Facebook. 
since you didn't have a good relationship with them, they're like, why would I kind of work with these guys? Is that kind of how it started and started you on your journey? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, fairly accurate. Look at the time we had litigated with Facebook for uh, like eight years or something. It was the hottest company in Silicon Valley. It pretty much was Silicon Valley. So we weren't like the most popular guys in Silicon Valley and many, and for people who don't know, Silicon Valley is in San Francisco. It's that area around San Francisco where many of the great startup companies have happened, have been founded and where many people go to start their startups because there's so much talent, there's so much history. A lot of the venture capital firms that invest in startups are there on Sand Hill Road. So it's an incredible ecosystem. It's like if you want to go into politics, you might move to DC. If you want to go into um, a film, become an actor, you would go to LA, right? And try and get roles and, and get in that industry. So if you want to do a startup that's in technology, you go to Silicon Valley. Um, if you watch Social Network, you'll understand why there was tension between us and Facebook. And Facebook was such a big company, is such a big company, but especially at that time, a lot of entrepreneurs wanted to uh, sell to Facebook or do business with Facebook. So, um, you know, we weren't the most popular guys there, but we did make a lot of, meet a lot of people um, and, and um, you know, make some investments. But um, at the same time, we were actually in a Bison vacation of all places and we discovered Bitcoin. And when we first saw it, we're like, this is a really interesting idea. Hold on, hold on. I hate to interrupt you, but I love this story. Did some, tell the story, you're in Ibiza and how did you find out about Bitcoin? So we're in Ibiza, um, we were at this nightclub, Pasha, um, <laughs> and there was another group nearby us. We said hello, they were from um, New York as well, Brooklyn. We had mutual friends in common. They connected the dots, they seen, seen the social network. Um, so just kind of like, you know, a casual, you know, conversation. And then the next day, we also coincidentally happened to be at this beach day club called um, Blue Marlin. And we were there, they were there. Um, one of the guys in the group named David Azar came over and said hello again and had said, hey, have you guys ever heard about Bitcoin or thought about Bitcoin? And we're like, no, what's Bitcoin? Um, so that was the first time we ever heard Bitcoin on a beach, probably taking tequila shots in Ibiza. <laughs> and every shot later, it was like, this sounds even better. You know, it was amazing. Um, so, um, and then we stayed in touch um, and then got in touch back in New York. He was actually looking at this company, BitInstant, um, that he was investing in. Hey, do you guys want to look at this deal? Um, we said, sure. We met with the founder. But to understand the deal, we had to understand what Bitcoin was because this was a company that dealt with Bitcoin. So it was hard. It was going to be impossible to invest in a Bitcoin company without understanding what the heck Bitcoin was. So we started learning about it. Um, we love the answers we got, but in short, Bitcoin is uh, gold 2.0. It's like gold built for the internet. It works like your email, but it's better than gold because the reason why people, one of the major reasons people think gold is valuable is because it's scarce. There's just not that much of it, right, in the world that we live in. And so Bitcoin um, is better than scarce because there's only 21 million Bitcoin ever 
Is no. that, hold on on that. So yeah. I heard that, I never, Griffin, did you know that? That there's only a set Yeah, I know it because- I've, Only because I told uh, you. <laughs> I've spent a fair share of time with Tyler and he's taught me a lot, but before that, no clue. So is there, tw- how many are out there now, Tyler? Is there 21 million out there? Or, so you know there's, um, you can Google this, but I think something like 19 million are out there, have been minted. Um, and the, the supply curve is, is asymptotic. So it, um, the amount that are minted every four years goes down, but most of them are out there by, by 2020, uh, by 2140, um, in like a hundred years, they'll all be out there, but the majority are out there now. And the number 21 million is, it doesn't super matter. Like it could be 22 million or 20 million. It's not necessarily a magic number. It's the fact that the number is fixed and that no one can create more. No one can find more. Um, people can mine more gold if the price of gold goes up, then it becomes more profitable to dig for gold. Um, technology can improve to find more gold. Um, there's also uh, a lot of gold in the galaxy on asteroids, um, which probably another topic for another conversation, but gold is not fixed. Um, people can find a gold supply in their backyard or whatever, you know, and it just happens to be pretty scarce, but Bitcoin's actually fixed and no one, there's no technological breakthrough that can change that. And you juxtapose that to the dollar, which is totally unfixed and it's manufactured and made up by our government. Um, and when we get into problems, we print more, we spend more than we don't have. And so all of a sudden, the dollars that you hold, the same hundred dollars that you hold, aren't is valuable because it's a smaller percentage of all the dollars out in circulation. So if you owned one apple and there was only 10 apples in the world, you'd own 10% of the apple supply. If someone doubles that and makes 20 apples in the world, then you, you still only own one, you have 5% of the apple supply. So all of a sudden, by just holding that apple, and someone else increasing the supply, you have a much smaller percentage of the total supply. And that's basically what happens to your dollars over time because the money supply never shrinks, it only grows. But Bitcoin is fixed, gold is scarce. That's why people love when you earn your money, putting your value in a hard money asset with a fixed supply, it doesn't depreciate the same way as if you have cash and you put cash in your mattress because the dollar has lost like 90% of its purchasing power in the last 30 years. Um, So like what you could buy, what your parents and my grandparents, our parents, like what our grandparents could buy with the dollar and what our parents can buy with the dollar and what we can buy with the dollar are dramatically different. There used to be, um, so uh, like a five and dime store, was a five cent and 10 cent store. You could go into stores back in the day and with a, with a nickel or 10 cents, you could buy stuff. And then that became the 99 cent store, right? And now it's gonna have to become like the $20 store, the $100 store, because <laughs> you can't really buy like a piece of candy even for 99 cents. So prices keep going up, that's called inflation. Um, but with Bitcoin, that won't happen. So that, that's, that's why people are really excited about it. 
And so you went, so you, you find out about this. When did you kind of pivot from VC to we're going to open up our own exchange or what was the process yet? Did you buy a bunch of Bitcoin? Did you found your exchange? What'd you do next? Yeah. So we, we did both. We, we kept doing uh, venture capital investment into startups. Um, but out of the same fund, we started buying Bitcoin in 2012. Um, Bitcoin was about eight bucks a Bitcoin back then. Uh, everybody, including me, wishes we all bought more because <laughs> now it's 18,000. Um, so started to buy Bitcoin. And the thing what happens when you buy something, when you buy your first car, your first apartment, um, it really disciplines you to understand what is this worth? You know, why does it have value? So you'll never look at a car or apartment the same way after you look to buy, right? You just, it disciplines your eye, you become more analytical. You just have to think much harder because you're putting skin in the game. So by buying Bitcoin, it made us, it, it um, spurred us on to learn about it even more. And then when we bought Bitcoin, we had to buy it on these, this one exchange called Mt. Gox, which was in Japan. And it was really sketchy. Um, it would, the technology wasn't that great. Um, it would kind of go, it would brown out. So you couldn't log in, you couldn't get a trade. Um, it was very hard to even open an account. We had to go to the state department, get things notarized, um, wire our money offshore. So the process was like really difficult and really sketchy. And so we loved Bitcoin, but this company where all of the Bitcoin was being traded, kind of like the, it, it was like the New York stock exchange of Bitcoin, let's say without all the positive attributes. Um, and that was just like, it wasn't gonna go mainstream Bitcoin if it was so difficult to get it, right? If it's too hard to buy Bitcoin, then no one's gonna do it if it's too risky. And so we didn't like that experience. And we tried to actually, um, as venture capitalists, uh, invest in other people who were building better exchanges, better ways for people to buy um, Bitcoin but we really couldn't find anyone who was doing it the way we thought that they should do it, which is build it onshore in America, get regulated, get licensed, be compliant, have best security. Um, and so after trying to invest in something that was building a better option or a better way to buy Bitcoin for people um, and not being able to find it, we said, screw it. We're just going to have to do this ourselves. So in 2014, we launched Gemini, which is our crypto exchange and custodian. You can buy, sell, store uh, things like Bitcoin, Ether, and other cryptocurrencies. We have a mobile app on Apple, iOS, Google, Android, um, over 300 employees. But we've been working on that for five years because we wanted to make it easier for people to get involved. And so by buying Bitcoin, having an experience that was not that great, and how difficult it was to buy it, we started a company called Gemini to fix that problem. Um, and we actually are the investors in Gemini. Uh, I'm the CEO, Cameron, my brother is the president. Um, so it, it, it sort of happened like little by little, like it starts on a beach in Ibiza. Interesting, you look at it, you research it, you start buying Bitcoin, you see what's wrong with the ecosystem, try invest in things that are gonna fix it can't find them, can't find the teams. Um, and we, we went out and, and built our own. And I think that's how most of these things start. I was once interviewing Richard Branson and 
he started so many companies and like it was always out of like frustration. It's like, I really want to read this magazine, but no one's writing it or whatever. So he starts a magazine. I really want to buy records in a store, you know, but there's none around me. So I'm just going to go build one. I really want to fly between this island and this island. No one's doing that flight leg. So I'll charter some planes, I'll hire some people, we'll start running it, charge tickets, and there's Virgin, you know, the airlines. So he, he, every business he started seemed to be started to, out of his own frustration with the way the world was and the way it should be, and then him um, going about and, and solving his own problem that was useful to him. And then if it's useful to you, it's probably useful to your friends and maybe their friends. And all of a sudden you build this like great global company, but it kind of starts with you looking at the world, how it is, and then like what it should be and recognizing that you have the power to shape that. And there's amazing jobs quote where, you know, the world you inherited is built by people no smarter than you. And once you recognize that you, you can say, you know what, like I, I empower yourself to, to shape it, um, the way you think it should be. But the key is recognizing that like, it's all been built by people before you like you no smarter, no, they, they didn't work harder than you. Um, they just had the courage to say, I want to do something. I want to change something. And as long when you come to that realization, you can start your own company. Maybe you start a lot of companies, maybe like Elon Musk, you start many, many companies that are worth billions and billions of dollars. So, um, it's not a superhuman thing, you know, but it's a lot of people get stuck in this like idea that like, Oh, um, you know, I couldn't do that, but, um, talk to these entrepreneurs, hear their stories. And it always starts super humble. You know, it's, it's like a little idea, a little thing. And then next thing leads to, ne to, to the, uh, you know, next thing leads to the next. And all of a sudden, you know, you're Richard Branson or Elon Musk. Yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> it's funny that you were talking about it because I remember, um, you know, Bitcoin became a big talk and I thought it was like this sketchy, like drug dealer thing that like people would like, you know, that's how they got away with doing sketchy things. They would just put their money in Bitcoin and put it in offshore like banks and stuff. So that's how I remember it from the beginning. I wish I, well, I was thinking about it. I would have got interested and invested, but you know, you win some, you lose. The problem is, is that that's, you're not wrong with that perception because that's the perception that, that the media, the narrative that they told, right? Because um, unfortunately, that's the narrative that's juicy and gets clicks and people want to read about the illegal activity, the dark market. So um, like a lot of people like, you know, had the same reaction, like, because that's how they came, first learned about Bitcoin. They read about hackers and selling malware and wanting to get paid in Bitcoin. So a lot of people uh, got distracted and that can, that happens with a lot of new technology. It's held to a higher standard. Like, you know, one Tesla car can um, on the highway, you know, um, start lighting on fire, you know, and, and have a malfunction. Right. And it's like front page news, like, Oh, Tesla burns on the highway. Um, and something like 50,000 GM cars or, crazy amount of number burn every year, like have engine fires and whatever. One Tesla, it's like exciting news. And so you'd think that like every Tesla, um, you know, goes on fire every other one. And, uh, but like the, you know, general motor cars or whatever don't. And 
Um, that's just not the case. It couldn't be, you know, it's more of the opposite, but that's what sort of sells. There's that saying, if it bleeds, it leads in media. And it's not a criticism on like the entire media. It's sort of like the human condition of like, you know, if it's gory and rated R and whatever, it kind of grabs us in. Um, so I'd, I'd sort of say like, you know, when you see those stories, maybe there's always like maybe another story or digging deeper. And if you can sort of talk to the people that you respect that maybe know a lot about it, as opposed to just like going to one source or kind of trying to find some blogs of people who may be industry insiders. Um, that's, that's super important. Cause that's what we, that's what happened for us. Like we, we definitely got to people who were like really close on the ground and we didn't let um, just Googling articles kind of like tell us like um, only about Bitcoin, but um, you're not alone in that. That's for sure. Yeah, that's that's how I remember it. And then now you guys have Jim and I. And, uh, you know, another thing that I always thought was, um, <clears throat> you know, I didn't know you could just buy a part of one. And we were we've talked about that before. It's like I thought you had to just buy a whole Bitcoin. I was like, yeah. you know, sheesh, how how are people going to supposed to drop 18K on, you know, one Bitcoin? Um, so Jim and I is cool. That's what I I've used it and searched around on it now and stuff. And like, I really like it because it puts it out almost kind of, I don't know, how would you relate it? Kind of like um, Robin Hood almost, but for Bitcoin, I feel like. We want to be super user friendly. Um, so a lot of times, even like there's these things like Bloomberg terminals, which a lot of Wall Street uses for their information. And they're, they're just not user friendly. Um, you know, like Apple products, we all love Apple products because the instruction manual is like one, it's like two pages. It's a couple pictures and, and very little text. Um, back in the day, if you bought some like Panasonic or Sony product, it'd be like this Bible of fine print. And you're like, how do I work this thing? And nobody wants to read that. And so they, they don't and understand the product. So, um, we've tried to make Gemini super like the Apple experience, right? Where it's just my mom can use it. A grandmother can use it or, you know, um, some sort of financial trader expert can also use it. But a lot of times these, these, um, and I think that's what Robinhood has done very well, as you pointed out. Um, but before that, if you go to E-Trade or Schwab, like the UI is kind of tough to understand unless you're an expert. And um, it sort of turns a lot of people off. They sort of think, oh, it's not for me because it's complicated. Um, so we want, to make, we want to make crypto for everyone. Tyler, I had a question. So educate us and the people listening right now. So I've got a Bitcoin. I buy the whole damn thing. I go all in, right? I just drop 18 grand on a Bitcoin. Now, what can I do with it, right? So if I buy 18 grand worth of gold, same thing, right? I don't have the gold in my hand. I can't go to the store with the bar of gold and buy something, but Bitcoin's kind of different, right? Because you could buy something with it. Do you think when you're able to spend it more and more places accept it, it'll kind of take it to the next level? So that's a great question. I actually think that you don't have to be able to spend Bitcoin for it to get to the next level. Um, we, we, uh, posted a blog on our uh, website, winkwasscapital.com, where we made the case for um, each Bitcoin being worth $500,000. And the way we got that uh, from 18,000, the way we got that 
is because gold's market cap, if Bitcoin is gold 2.0, right? If Bitcoin's going to disrupt gold, gold's market cap right now is 9 trillion. Bitcoin's is 300 billion. So if Bitcoin's better than gold, it's got to be worth 9 trillion market cap. And so for it to be worth 9 trillion, each Bitcoin would have to be worth $500,000. And that's from $18,000 today, that's a 25 to 30X. And you pointed out, great, like very astutely, Bitcoin is, uh, sorry, gold is not being used to buy your cup of coffee or your dinner. Um, and it's just a store of value. It's where people park their blood, sweat, and tears, their hard work that they don't want to lose to inflation and depreciation of inflation, right? And so Bitcoin doesn't have to be used to be a better gold because gold is not being used that way. Now, so that gets us to $500,000 of Bitcoin. If Bitcoin is also used um, like a payment network or a layer two payment networks built on top of it, then it does more than gold. So its market cap should be more than 9 trillion. There are other cryptocurrencies though, um, like Ethereum, um, where a lot of that payment stuff is happening there. And Ethereum's a little bit different, but Bitcoin is, if, it, if you think of Bitcoin like digital gold, Ethereum's like a decentralized virtual computer, like the world's computer. And people are building applications on top of that. They're building stable coins on top of that. Stable coins are basically um, putting US dollars on, on, the, on the blockchain. And the reason why I don't spend Bitcoin is because I think it's going up. It's the reason, same reason why, um, you know, if I have a share of Amazon or Tesla, I don't sell it. I just let it ride because that's going up. I spend the things that are losing value. So I spend cash. Uh, I spend assets that are depreciating because you hold on to them and you're losing value, you know. Um, so you kind of want to spend. That's what currencies that sort of lose their value uh, or assets that lose their value make better currencies or medium exchange. Ones that retain or appreciate, I think make better stores of value or investments. So I think Bitcoin's more of the investment, you know, put your money in it, let it ride, don't look at it, like don't even look at it day to day. You could even not even look at it year to year and five or 10 years, you know, it creates this huge wealth, right, for you. Um, dollars are the things I would, I would spend. And there are people putting dollars under the Ethereum blockchain. You can spend them on these applications there. So there's much more of like um, a currency ecosystem having on Ethereum, like you see with, you know, in the, the, the US dollar, right? It's more of like a, a trade back and forth, whereas Bitcoin is more of like the buy and hold. Did you say cash is trash? When I was doing homework, I read that. Is, was that you or is that like a common thing? I did say that. I was on Squawk Box CNBC and I said that exactly for this reason, because during the, the pandemic lockdown, um, the government, the U.S. government and many governments around the world have tried to help their citizens by locking down. Um, nobody can earn a living. No one can open their restaurants, right? So you got to give people something. So they've been literally printing money out of thin air and spending money out of thin air uh, to help everyone. But the money supply like we talked about earlier is getting much bigger. So dollars are losing their value and people are realizing this. They're like, hey, all of a sudden I just received a check. Like, you know, the Fed, the US um, government just waived 
a magic wand. It's there's a an uh, economic term that's called helicopter money, just money falling out of the sky, and people are starting to question like, hmm, like how did that just happen? You know, and it just does because the U.S. dollar is it's 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 a made up construct. You know, the U.S. government's like this is our currency. We control the supply. We print when we want. You know. And it's super synthetic and people are sort of like saying like, hmm, like that feels like it's maybe not that real. What's the difference between that and monopoly money and my toilet paper? <laughs> They're right because um, it's, it's unclear, you know, over time. And we've been, not to get too technical, but we've been spending um, more money than we have for a very long time. And so that the, the health of the, the U.S. economy, you know, it's concerning. Um, and then the pandemic comes and then we have to hit the, we've been hitting the turbo button, right? We've been in the sports car hitting the turbo button for the last 10 years. And then we really got to speed up again and we got to hit the, there's no more turbo to hit, but we got to hit an even bigger one. So we keep on making this pact, you know, with the devil and kicking the can down the road. Um, and so I think there's going to be, a, you know, a, a reckoning at some point in the next five or 10 years with the U.S. dollar, with the U.S. economy. And that's why, you know, I put a lot of my value in Bitcoin. And that's why I've seen a lot of legendary investors like Paul Tudor Jones, hedge fund guys, Stan Druckenmiller, putting their money into Bitcoin because it's a hard money fixed asset that can't be debased. You can't print more of it. So their value is safe there. And we're also seeing publicly traded companies like MicroStrategy and Jack Dorsey Square taking some of their cash on their balance sheet in the treasury and putting that into Bitcoin for the same reason. So the Bitcoin gold 2.0 story is really taking on legs. Um, it's something that we've been talking about for eight years, but a lot of very, the most sophisticated investors in the world are also doing that, seeing that, they're saying that, they're investing, investing, uh, investing in it. And the, the thing that got them spooked was like, th the catalyst was all of the money printing during the lockdown, because the lockdown, the governments of the world said, we're shutting economies down. So there was a massive demand shock. Nobody's going to restaurants, no one's going to hotels, no one's flying, there's no tourism. So literally, it's just like the whole economic activity, all the growth just shut down, right? It's tremendous effects. We've never seen anything like it in the history or as long as I've been alive. And I don't know what happened in 1918 during the Spanish influenza. But um, when we usually have economic crises, even in like 2008 or 1999, people are still shopping. They're going to restaurants or doing all these things. All of that stopped. Um, and so, you know, the U.S. government has to resort to these tools that they've been using um, for the last decade, and it's just becoming very suspect, like the health of the U.S. economy. Meanwhile, Main Street is completely hurting, right? All these shops are closing down, and the stock market is at all-time highs. Like, that doesn't make sense unless you think that those highs are really being inflated by all the money that's being printed. So what do those prices mean? Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm going a little bit rambling a little bit on and on, but um, suffice it to say is I think that like 
government currency, when we say fiat currencies, we mean government currencies like the dollar, the euro, the pound, they're issued by governments, are um, going to be in trouble because their supplies are unfixed, right? They're unlimited. Versus things like Bitcoin and cryptos um, that have fixed supplies. And we're seeing a lot of people, and I think the pandemic was a big catalyst for a lot of people who got these checks and like, this doesn't feel real. Where can I put my value? And I love talking to, you know, Gen Zers because they are so committed to financial literacy and financial independence. I think if we were sitting here 10 years ago, um, Griffin, how old are you? 20? 21, yeah. 21. 10 years ago, I don't think a 21-year-old would be interested in these topics, you know? Um, I was talking to, to um, a guy I work with yesterday and about athletes um, and sort of like in the 80s, they, athletes, like the world didn't understand how to monetize athletes, it felt like, right? There was like these World Cup stars who, who um, they just didn't know how to market them, get them sponsorships, right? In the 90s, it feels like the world figured out, like Nike and these companies figured out how to monetize athletes get them contracts, sneakers, gear, whatever. So 80s athletes like didn't know how to translate, make, you know, market themselves and make money off of that beyond their contracts. The 90s athletes, early 2000s, cracked that nut. They figured out how to monetize their athleticism. But they didn't figure out how to hold on to it. I think many of those guys ended up uh, bankrupt. And I think this generation of athletes is like they saw – what happened, okay, the 80s, nothing happened. Like the 90s, they saw that happen and they're like, we're gonna make our money, but this time we're gonna hold on to it. And to do that, we're gonna get right managers, we're gonna get smart on financial stuff, we're gonna level up and really pay attention. So there's been an evolution of entertainers, athletes, and I think this new generation is like, we're not gonna make all this money or get fame and not figure out how to convert it and then go bankrupt with bad decisions or spend too much. We're actually gonna stay rich or keep getting rich. And I think that's really interesting. And Griffin, this is exactly what you're doing. I mean, the fact that you know Tyler is pretty strange and pretty cool at the same time. How did you guys even connect? Um, Michael. So I, I think Twitter ultimately, so um, you're, manager Michael Gruen um, and I started connecting I did Bryce's podcast but ultimately it was Twitter that really brought us together um, I think you guys maybe tweeted at me that, yeah we do um, that my DMs are open so we started chatting uh, Michael Gruen their manager who actually I met a year ago to the day in LA we had connected um, at Craig's, his favorite spot in Hollywood. Um, it's a great restaurant. Um, I was, was, in, was in LA at the time and he, he came up and said hello. Um, and then when these guys, we started DMing, I saw him DMing and I was like, oh, I know this guy and he's the manager. So um, it's amazing who the type of people I meet on Twitter. I make like friends, I hire people, hire employees on, on Twitter. Like all of my coolest friends group, like you know, come from Twitter. It's such an amazing, an amazing thing. Um, so I sometimes people like, you know, want to buy Bitcoin and I'm like, oh, come to Gemini. So Twitter's been this amazing networking tool. It's sort of like 
you can build a friends network of people who uh, you want to be friends with who just don't live next to you. So it like gets rid of the geography um, of like, oh, my friends are just the people who live on my neighborhood. And if you follow the right people and curate the feed, it's the most intellectually stimulating conversation out there. You, you can follow the people you look up to, you can follow you know, Elon Musk, all these people, all these experts, like crypto, everybody in crypto is on, on, on Twitter. So if you wanna get smart on trip, crypto, um, just start following the folks that are building projects and watch their feeds. They're super transparent and open. Um, there's a lot of great podcasters on there. So I, I can't say enough good things about Twitter, but that's ultimately, I think, how we all connected. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I do a lot of times. And, um, you know, I, I was going to say something about the fact that I want to really reiterate with, uh, with Jim and I and people that are, that are listening because um, they're always asking me about, like, uh, you know, things to invest in, even if you don't have a lot. So what do you think about, like, let's say someone is saving back, I don't know, $100 a month. And they put that hundred dollars into Bitcoin every week. Do you think that would still be a great long-term and like solid investment? I do. Um, Bitcoin has been the best um, performing at, uh, asset of last decade. It's been the best of this year, and I think it'll be the best of the next decade. So you can't find. It'll be hard to find um, a stock, right? Uh, a company that will appreciate 25 to 30 times in the next decade. I don't think you can find it. Um, the other cryptocurrency um, outside of Bitcoin that I really love as well, that I think is a great um, thing to look at is Ethereum. And the, the token of Ethereum is Ether. And what I've been suggesting to friends who are like, hey, I wanna get into crypto or buy Bitcoin. I'm saying something like, if in your example, $100, I would put like me personally, would put like $70 of that into Bitcoin and $30 of that into Ether. So I do a 70-30 Bitcoin Ether split of that $100. Um, I love um, Ether and Bitcoin. They're both incredible. They're also very different. And I think um, between those two, you have most of your bases covered because a lot of the other crypto projects that people talk about are actually built on top of Ethereum and they require ether uh to work so even if you own ether you have exposure to all of that so instead of having to pick it's almost like instead of having to pick the winning racehorse just own a piece of the racetrack and as long as the races are running you're going to make money but the tough thing is getting that winning racehorse right and oftentimes people lose so it's better to own the racetrack and just have the races run. And every time they run, you make some money versus trying to pick the winning racehorse. And so if you own Ether, you have a piece of the racetrack without having to go through the risk of picking the racehorse. You have exposure to all of the, the DeFi, decentralized financial um, projects and movement that's happening on top of it. So the Bitcoin blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain, all of the actions happening right there, right now, so that's why I say, I think um, a bit of both of them is, is awesome. Hey Tyler, we're almost out of time, but I have one more question for you, especially Griffin's fans who are, you know, listening to this, you know, you gave the split of, you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin, how we, sh you know, you should split them. 
it's easy to, there's so many other cryptocurrencies out there, you know, and some have been scams and this company just invents their own tomorrow and, you know, we're supposed to buy it. What are the pitfalls to avoid? I mean, should you just stay with these blue chips that you guys sell and stay away from those or what do you do? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, so that's why I say um, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of scam coins. There's a lot of pitfalls out there. You can never go wrong with Bitcoin and Ether. Um, and that's why I say start there. Um, because once you start there, you're going to want to learn more. You're going to get curious. And you're going to naturally learn about other projects. And you might get confidence to go into them. But to start in those projects, that's like an advanced move, right? It's sort of like doing a flip into the diving, uh, the, the deep end on your first time off the diving board. Like, you know, walk before you run. Start with the basics, start with the blue chips, start with the things that are definitely not scams, that are the foundational pieces of this um, technology and, and movement. That's Bitcoin and Ether. Once you start setting up and get more advanced, you can start picking smaller, more exotic projects but you can never go wrong starting a little bit in the shallow end. And it's still an amazing, you know, it's going to be an amazing ride, I think, in those. Um, and then as you get more advanced, more confident, you learn about the market, you're in the ecosystem, then you can go um, to other things. But don't make mistakes. A lot of people like, they're like, oh, I heard about Bitcoin and maybe it's too late. And so my friend told me about this thing I've never heard of. So that must be the opportunity. Most often that's not the case that is not a good project um and it's still super early in these other coins i like to say and i do believe it's the bottom of the first inning to use a baseball metaphor with in terms of bitcoin and ether there's so much more things to happen um so it's not too late like like we said eighteen thousand dollar bitcoin you can buy a hundred dollars of it right and i think eighteen thousand is going up to five hundred thousand so that's a really early investment when you do that math. Um, and then as you kind of get more mature and smarter and sophisticated in the, pay, the space, you can um, go into other things. But there's a lot of people who just stay in Bitcoin and Ether um, because there's a lot of time and risk involved in assessing other projects. And by owning these two you have exposure to them anyway. It's like owning an index fund like the S&P 500, just indexing to the U.S. stock market, which goes up as opposed to picking, you know, which stock individually. So most people offload that as the best strategy, unless you do this for a living, like all day long. And even then it's, it can be risky. So I, I like starting with the basics in short. Griff, what else you got? We were educated. We're, we're going to go out and buy Bitcoin today. What you, what well, I mean, my I just wanted to make sure, especially uh, that that we got out across to Gemini, which is good. I see he even has the shirt on. Yeah, um, there you go. Um, I don't know if I got. Yeah. Yes, Gemini. Oh yeah. No, that's the main thing here. Is like, you know, I've been going around, and I'm, Tyler, I I put you in my tweet the other day. I was like, if you're looking to, you know, learn about Bitcoin, follow these people. And I put you up there. Um, but yeah, that's the main thing here. I, I, I want people to understand it. I recently have just got into it between, you know, you guys and Michael um, got into my first, you know, Bitcoin and I use Gemini and I, I like it because uh, it's just so easy. Like, the, like Tyler was saying, it's so easy to use. 
Um, and I want more people to know about that because I, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Bitcoin is from the time we started sway, Michael said, buy it. I think it was 6,000. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? That's so expensive. Like you're crazy. And now it's like all the way up. I think it hit 19 two the other day and it's like in the eighteens maybe now it's like Griffin. I went on Bryce's podcast. Um, I don't know, maybe a month ago and same conversation. It was worth 13,000. See, see, that's what I'm saying. I was like, uh, he's like, should I buy? I was like, if it was me, I would buy. And it went up to 19,000. So (laughs) did he buy though? Did Bryce actually go to Gemini and buy? We'll have to invite him on um, to to find out. But um, look, I love uh, talking about this. It's so fascinating. Um, If people, like I often tweet a lot about these ideas on crypto and stuff and projects that I like. I'm on Twitter at Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R. So, um, and a lot of people I follow or retweet are also in crypto. So if folks want to get, um, you know, want to level up a bit on crypto, um, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow other people. You can DM me. My DMs are open. I can point you to other resources. I often retweet other podcasts that focus on crypto or other founders who are in crypto. So, um, that's a great way to sort of like get involved. And I tweet a lot about this stuff. So, um, and I'm happy to answer questions. Like I said, my DMs are open. And as long as you don't DM me asking me for Bitcoin, I will probably respond. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, can I have a Bitcoin? Imagine. (laughs) I I get that like for every like none of that, I get like 20 of those for every one, like, hey, you know, normal question. So that's just when people put in like a QR code or they just put their Bitcoin address. Like, hi, Bitcoin address. Oh, they want you to. Okay, I got you. Yeah, they want me to send them some Bitcoin, you know? You know? Um, how to empower yourself to own Bitcoin and um, get financial independence and serenity. I, I think that's better, right? Because if you don't understand how to grow and manage your money, you'll lose it. You know, people will spend, it's crazy how much money people can spend through if they don't actually get the skills and everyone can learn the skills to manage, grow, invest, and be responsible for your money. So I think that that's the gift that I think is a better gift. It's harder to give, but that's the one I like to give because then people at least, you know, they can do this on their own. They don't need to DM me and be like, yo, Hey, can I have a Bitcoin? Here's my Bitcoin address. Cause you know, that's probably going to go, so they're going to spend through that anyway. Tyler, thank you so much for hopping on. I'm Griffin. We got to go on Gemini. We don't want to be like Bryce. We got to go on Gemini today and buy some Bitcoin. I already did. I'm already one step ahead. I'm going to look at it today. I will. All right. I'll I'll come back and then we'll see where it is and we'll see if Bryce did it. So you can, you can one up your, your buddy, man. (laughs) Well, Tyler, thank you. I appreciate it, man. Uh, Let's catch up soon. It's been a while. Um, thanks, Griffin. I'll see you guys next time in LA. Thanks. Okay. See All right. You. Bye.